almost Halloween. Maybe it's time for a real-life ghost story. Oh, I know, I know. The rumor is that uh, a lot of people don't believe in ghosts, but they like to tell the stories just to scare other people. But is it true? Are there really ghosts? Well, I don't know. Are there spirits out there floating around on this side of the veil, waiting to go to the next life, afraid of what lies ahead, or trapped here because of unfinished business? I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know, and I know for a fact, is that no one can speak to the dead. Now, before you turn off this podcast, before you get mad, listen. I'm dead serious. Boom, <laughs> really I am. I am convinced that no one can speak to the dead. And the reason I am is because Houdini proved there is no speaking to the dead. He left clear messages and clear instructions to his wife, and she carried out seances on Halloween night every year for like 10 years with the best psychics, mediums, soothsayers and holy men and the world had to offer all of them would have a untouchable reputation 
if they could crack the Houdini code and tell his wife the message that he promised he would send from the other side of the veil. Now I'm sure all of them tried different tricks like the message is there is no message or his mother's name or you know the town he lived in and maybe even some of them learned his mother's native language. You see a lot of them would speak to Houdini in English while his mother didn't know English so how was she able to talk from the other side in English. These kind of things infuriated Houdini and he set out to debunk every medium he could and he did. He literally debunked and spoofed and proved every single medium spiritualist of his day was a fraud. He really did and he taught other magicians how to spot their tricks, their sleight of hand, their mental games to trick you into giving them information. And I know for a fact, I'm pretty sure, I'm very well convinced that you can't speak to the dead. That being said, I, Dr. Andrew Michaels, was called in on a case. A very, very rich man was very distraught. A psychic medium had told him that he could speak to the dead man's daughter. There was a rash of killings in the area. It was in Chicago in one of the old neighborhoods, old houses of the Victorian age, old family money, and the man had just lost his daughter to what appeared to the Chicago Police Department and especially to the news media, a serial killer was on the loose. And this man was infuriated. His daughter's body was found in one of the killing grounds of, just like all the rest of the female victims, she looked the part. She was young, blonde, silky fine hair, and she fit the killer's profile for the victims that he sought out. He wanted answers and he offered a huge reward. And of course, a local medium said that he had spoken to his daughter in the afterlife. And she told him that where her body would be found, who the killer was, and other details that supposedly were not released to the public. The man was convinced that this psychic medium was speaking to his daughter from beyond the grave, and he wanted me to help verify it. I, of course, was very willing to help. This family was so distraught. They had just gotten the daughter's body back from a very thorough, very thorough, and dare I say, not subtle autopsy. Every inch of her body was scrubbed for evidence. Every inch of her body was photographed 
There was even scans of her body taken to make sure how the wounds, how she was killed, how the murderer carried out his horrible, horrible acts on her so they could compare it to the other girls that were found. I brought along my receptionist with me. I had an ulterior motive. Even though she was slightly older than the victims, they were all young women in their 20s and 30s, the receptionist had the same look. Long, fine, blonde hair. The right height, the right build, everything about her made her similar, not exact, but similar to the victims. And I was hoping that I could pull a fast one on the medium and get and lure him into a trap. We were going to set up and slip some private information of hers to him. Of course, this was a plant. The information we were going to slip him was all fabricated, made up, not real. And these facts that were going to be slipped to the medium for the testing, he would spout them back, saying that the dead had spoken, and would warn us to protect the receptionist from the serial killer on loose because she fit his M.O., his modus operandus, for the victim. So, this all being done, we went to this man's house to meet the psychic. We brought along a cameraman who was one of my fellow agents, the receptionist, as I said before, a agent of mine dressed as a Chicago PD police officer and a legitimate Chicago Police Department officer so that all the boxes were ticked and checked off. And the idea was we were going to have something of a seance, a reading, and this is what we did. It was called automatic writing, not a true seance. But we all sat in a room, and the young psychic would take out a tablet. I noticed he immediately became enamored with the receptionist. I also noticed that I might have overplayed my hand. The rich man was a little bothered by the receptionist. Her hair immediately reminded him of his daughter. He complimented her on her beautiful, fine, golden, blonde hair, how it laid like angel hair, and he could not stop flashing his eyes towards my assistant. I was a little unnerved by it, but I thought it just was something anybody would do, thinking of their daughter. They had just buried them, and he was still in the throes of sorrow and agony, and maybe I shouldn't have set it up this way, but it was definitely getting the reaction I wanted. She sat 45 degrees away from me. I sat across from the psychic and the owner of the home who invited us all there. He sat 45 degrees to the right of me, and this was not planned. It just happened to be that way. The rest of the gentlemen sat around the circle 
in the different positions of the clock. We turned the lights down low, and a bright light was shined down from behind on the psychic, so that he could write freely on his notepad, and it gave a little bit of a backlight to him. It illuminated him in a very odd fashion. He almost looked like he had an aura about him. It was quite interesting, and the receptionist actually texted me a quick note. She noticed it too. It was very interesting. He began his automatic writing, and as we developed, he started to zone in on the fact that the dead wanted to warn us. The serial killer was nearby. He was somewhere in the vicinity. This made sense because the man's daughter, the killing grounds, every other victim were found very close to this residence. I knew we had our fraud because within minutes the dead started to want us to warn the receptionist not to go to her car alone, not to travel at night alone. Always watch where you're going. Watch what you're doing when you're driving. Don't fall for a fake police officer with a fake badge. And it started to focus more and more on her to the consternation of the wealthy man who invited us into myself because I immediately knew this man's a fraud. The spirits started telling him, I picture a name, a name, a name that starts with an A, a name that starts with a G, a name that starts with an S. And of course, he was feeding us back all of the fake information that we had slipped to him through channels. He was telling us her real name middle name and all, and her family history, the fact that she was unmarried, no children, etc., etc. He couldn't have been more wrong. We had fed him a bucket of lies, and he gobbled it right up, and he spewed it right back to us. No problem. I sat there and I waited until the automatic writing was done and I thanked him and I asked him if we could go into a room privately and talk. I didn't want to embarrass him further. As we walked into the private study, I didn't realize that the owner of the home had followed us in. He seemed very agitated and he ordered me and I do mean ordered me to speak openly and freely in front of him that whatever I had to say to his hired help the psychic he could say to him as well I paused for a moment I thought about how am I gonna do this without really starting something and I realized, well, 
the only thing to do is to tell the truth. And that's exactly what I said. I have to come clean. I have to tell the truth. We fed information to this medium through channels. All lies, all fabricated truths about the receptionist that came to take dictation during this session. She's actually one of my agents. Everything you said about her was wrong. Everything you said about her was exactly what we fed you in the dossier that you were passed. Unfortunately, I have to report this man is a fraud. How he got lucky and found your daughter probably was due to the fact that the murderer's killing ground was leaked by the press. So he knew where to generally look for your daughter. Under a big tree, by a body of water. Well, that was the killing ground, a very, very vague area. And, of course, that's where she was found. There were several trees around. There was water. And he knew the general area. He didn't get that wrong. But I have a feeling this man is just milking you for your income and to enrich himself. And I'm sorry that I have to be the one to report that to you. The man was very, very concerned. He seemed upset. The medium immediately tried to make up excuses, tried to lie his way out of it, tried to call me into question. The other people in the room adjoining the den came in as the argument escalated and separated us and nearly had to pull the owner of the house off the medium. He was so furious. The rage in his eyes was amazing to behold. This man was not dealing well with the loss of his daughter. I... <laughs> I don't know how to tell this next part. We departed for the night. The owner thanked me and the Chicago Police Department for helping him verify and expose this man and thanked us and hoped that we would find the murderer soon. The psychic was ushered out and the man demanded a full refund or else and I didn't know at the time he was serious about the or else part we all just let it go because here was a man who just lost his daughter we thanked the man for his time apologized for upsetting him even though we were there to help it's still horrible to see somebody so upset and we left his home three of us drove together back to our base and we did a quick debriefing and then we all went home for the night we had hoped to find some information out maybe 
the medium had a source and we were hoping maybe we could pick his brain but at the end of the day we found out that everything dealing with him was just a lucky guess or an educated guess oh my gosh my little old dog Swayze I have a dog his name is Patrick Swayze he's 14 years old he's getting so old sorry I'm interrupting the story but he's snoring on the floor beside me you might be able to hear it I'm sorry if it bothers you but he's such an adorable dog and he means well He's a sweet little pup. I brought him home in my arms when he was a little baby. He could barely walk. He was a fat little dog that was stuck in a cage at a pet store and nobody wanted him. And we just loved him literally his whole life. Loved him. And he's on some pain medication and some joint medication right now because his hips are bothering him. He's getting old. But he's doing really well and he had a really good weekend. And now he's laying there snoring while I'm trying to tell you a beautiful story. A weird story, but a beautiful one. And I hope you like the next part because it's a little, really little weird. So Swayze, try to be quiet while I tell the rest of the story. And here's what happened next. About a week later. <laughs> still no serial killer. But no further victims. The murderer knew we were onto him. He might have fled, he might have left, he might have just been laying low from the pressure the police were putting on the area. We were looking around in various areas near Chicago to see if he had changed his killing grounds to a different area. And in so doing, we realized that there was a body floating in Lake Michigan. Now, this was very troubling. The body was fished out, and it wasn't a young blonde with angel-like hair. This body that was fished out was the very psychic medium we had met the week before. Somebody had strangled him and thrown him in that lake. And they threw him right where he would be found, in a very, very popular, well-walked area. Well, this was terrible. I was called down immediately to the beach to help I not only identify the body, but to get an idea of what might have occurred. When I got there, well, this is the weird part. As I was pulling up to the entrance to the beach, I was stopped by some officers and I had to show my identification. There was a knock on my passenger window. Somebody was knocking on the window. Well, I thought it was a, another officer or a plain clothes detective. I lowered the window, and a man bent down. A man bent down with a crooked neck, 
and said, Are you going to let me in? It was the psychic. I thought, oh, well, maybe stories of his death were exaggerated. Maybe he just got hurt. He didn't look good. He was soaking wet and his neck was twisted. I said, sure, and I popped the lock on my car and he got in and closed the door. They handed me back my identification and I traveled along towards the beach. As we neared the beach, the psychic began to talk to me and he said, you're not going to like what I have to tell you. That's my body down there on the beach. I almost wrecked my car. I told him, quit playing games with me. What kind of publicity stunt are you pulling here? And he said, just pull over. I pulled over near some other police cars. And I could see where they had barriered off the beach and where the body was. And people were still milling around it. Quite a lot of people were there and the news was there. And it was just a circus. He turned and looked at me and I looked at him and I realized upon a closer look that I was looking at something I had never seen before. I was looking at something not of this world, not of this earth. And he gurgled and water mixed with blood flowed from his lungs, flowed from his stomach. And he told me that I know who killed those girls. And he told me a name. He told me an address. He told me the man's age. That he lived with his parents. He told me exactly where in his room he kept the trophies from all the girls he had killed in a little shoebox hidden in the heat register in his room. And he told me, do you know how I know all these things? And I said, no, of course not. And he raised his hand busted fingernails on his hand. He had fought back so hard not to be strangled, not to be murdered. He fought hard. You could see the skin stuck under the nails, the broken nail beds of his hands. And he raised his hand and pointed out the windshield. And when I turned, all of the victims of the serial killer were standing in front of me in various levels of decay. I only saw them for a moment. It was like they were inside the hood of my car or they were outside of my car. I, they weren't there, but they were there, but they were gone. I felt this chill 
as they just weren't there anymore. And I turned to the person sitting beside me and said, how? How? And he said, enough is enough. Enough blood was spilled. Enough is enough. And he turned to me and he held up both hands. And he said, you'll have no problem matching the wounds on my hands to the face and arms of my murderer. And then he was sitting in my car, or was he sitting actually in my car? Was he halfway in my car? Was he not in my car? Enough is enough. And he was gone. And I pulled a notepad from my chest pocket of my coat and scribbled the name, the address as best I could remember it. Parents, house, lives at home. Register, check the register. And I almost, I, I, and he was right. We were going to have no problem finding the murderer. Because soon the father of the last victim was walking past me, long scratches down his face, his clothes disheveled. It was clear what had happened here, and he was resigning himself to his fate, knowing the body had been found, knowing that he couldn't hide what had happened to him. Makeshift bandages wrapped around his hands, his face still oozing of blood from the deed he had done the night before. He wasn't much of a nurse, too afraid to go to the hospital and show himself to them. And I walked up behind him as I, I quickly exited my car and got up behind him as quickly as I could. Tried to console him, tried to calm him down, signaled with my other arm on officer to come over to where we were. This man needs help. I think he needs to sit down. I think he has a lot to talk about. I think a detective needs to talk to him right away. He's been through a lot. And he immediately called on his radio and we must have looked quite a pair because other officers of the clothes, plain clothes, detective, dressed detective. Sorry, I'm all over the place. It's still so raw in my brain. Came up and they took him and sat him on the back of an ambulance there to take the body away and started to administer first aid and ask him questions and offered him something to drink. He was already confessing, I did it, I did it, I did it, I couldn't, he lied to me, my daughter, I just couldn't get her face 
closed my eyes and all I would see is my daughter's face. It was so traumatizing. I found a lead detective that I had known that helped me set up the seance slash automatic reading writing session that we had had a week before. And I showed him what I knew. Don't ask me how. I think I know who the murderer is. The way we'll be able to prove it. And here's how. The man's house was put on 24-hour watch while we saw a judge and I tried to explain to the judge how I found out what I knew and just look if you give us the search warrant it's there this is what happened if we searched the house and we searched the register and it's not there then you have my head you've got a story either way Luckily for me, the search was carried out. The shoebox was found in the exact spot we were told to look. And the case was solved. I couldn't believe what had happened. I remember standing at the courthouse steps when they were taking the murderer in for the trial. The girl's father was there, also in orange, cuffed, allowed by the judge to be there for the arraignment. He wanted to witness this man being arraigned in court and he was deemed no, you know, not to be dangerous at this point. I remember looking out the courthouse steps as I was ready to leave. My job there basically done. The incident report would be evidence, luck. We stumbled onto it this way, that way, that way. He was going down for this no matter what. He was willing to confess and give us the story. All I had to do was keep my mouth shut about ghosts and goblins and hearing about spirits in the night. As I was walking down those courthouse steps, I don't think I saw them there, but I saw something there, something out of the side of my eyes. Maybe I was tired. Maybe I was just exhausted. It was a lot of sleepless nights in there. A lot of soul-searching, a lot of fear. 
a lot of rethinking about things in the world. But I thought I saw them standing there on the steps of that courthouse. I thought I saw them all standing there. He was standing there amongst them, amongst the girls, his hands raised. A strange, frightful smile across his face, the palms of his hands raised. And there it was, just for a moment. And then they were gone. And that is my ghost story. Happy Halloween. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you have a wonderful trick-or-treat time. Stay safe. Stay with friends and family. Don't go out there in the dark alone. You never know what you might find. So you always want somebody to keep the, your, cover your back. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Hueo. Please take a moment to share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it and to rate or review it on your podcast player of choice. Those small things only take a few minutes and they really do help our podcast grow. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library videos online at youtube.com slash Links to connect with us on social media and to take a look at our merchandise can be found in the show notes. The theme song Atlantis is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardohueo at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels and his entire staff, thank you.